Movement Church is all about passionate people who build authentic relationships to reach limitless potential and serves Orange County, California. For more information, visit us online at theocmovement.com. We hope you enjoy this message from the Movement. We're so glad you made it to the Movement Church, and we're excited about what God's doing today and here in this place. Just before I jump into today's series sermon, I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. My wife, my family has been so blessed by you, your generosity. And for those of you that don't know, my father passed away a week ago today, and we've spent the last six days on Blitz in Dallas, just spending time with great family, being reunited with some great old friends. And we had his memorial service on Friday, and I want to tell you, it was just such a powerful thing. A little over 500 people came out. And uh, people streamed in from online, from all over the world, just, uh, just because of the impact and the influence my dad made over the last 66 years. And uh, it was so neat to celebrate his life. And man, he was a hero before, but now more than ever, after uh, being at that service, connecting with people, and just seeing the impact that he made by living intentionally was so powerful. And one thing that's really cool, and for those of you that are new, this may not make, uh, make a difference to you, but we're all about helping people find Jesus at the Movement Church. And I, it was so cool. I got to share the gospel message at my dad's service, and a little over eight people said yes to Jesus. Can we give a hand clap for that? That's pretty awesome. And uh, it was one of the coolest services I've ever been a part of. Obviously, my, it was for my dad, but it was a neat thing. And I just want to say thanks again to those of you who, uh, many of you did, have done meals and uh, you, you did extra gifts and flowers and just notes and cards and even Instagram messages and Facebook messages, all that. And we're just so grateful. Uh, I love being a part of a church family who really is a family. Can I get an amen for that? Amen just means sure, that's awesome. So uh, anyways, I'm so thankful for you and all that you've done. And I'm excited about this next uh, message I want to share with you today. We're in the middle of a series called Crash the Chatterbox. And this whole series is about how the voices that we listen to will determine the future that we get to experience. We choose what thoughts we consume. And here's the truth. After a while, our thoughts begin to consume us. So let's be selective of which thoughts we're going to consume, right? And the first week we talked about the lies of insecurity and overcoming that with God's promise that he says, I am. And last week we talked about, I don't even remember because last Sunday was kind of a blur for me. Uh, but I forget. It doesn't matter. It was a great message, though. It's important to know. <laughs> you have to forgive me. And then today I want to talk to you about the lies of shame and condemnation. We're going to overcome that with the promise that God says he has. I want to just tell you, you know, one of the things that we have made a determination from the very beginning of this church is that all of us are just a little bit jacked up, right? Nobody in here is perfect. All of us are just working on getting a little bit better. And uh, we've decided from the very beginning we're not going to be a church that's just a country club for Christians. But we're going to be a little bit jacked up, work on getting better, and help reaching as many people as we possibly can in the journey. But one of the things that's so disturbing and challenging for me as a pastor, my life work is to do this right here. And the biggest challenge for me is that so many people never step foot in the doors or the, the, the room or the building of a church because of shame and condemnation. 
because they are so concerned or consumed with the mistakes of their present or their past and feel like they've got to get everything in order and everything in line before they step into church. Because God is great in everything, but man, I just don't know if you realize where I've been and what I've done. And I want to talk to you today about how we can silence the lies of shame and condemnation. The, the series called Chatterbox is that voice on the inside, not that we're all schizophrenic, but that voice on the inside that's constantly telling us we're not good enough, we're not smart enough, we've gone too far, we've done too much, God doesn't love us enough, He can love so-and-so or He can love them, but not me in that chatterbox, that voice that's in our head so much. If we're not careful, if we allow it to, to win, then it actually affects the direction that we're headed. And I actually want to share somewhat transparently for you, with you today as well. And, and so I hope that's okay if I can get your permission. And if not, that's understandable. You can leave. But I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But I want to tell a couple stories. One, I want to read a story about an incredible guy in the Bible named Peter. And I also want to tell, tell a short portion of my story as well. And my hope and prayer is that today as we leave, that we might be free or begin to be free from the lies of shame and condemnation. Hey, look at me in the eyes for a moment. Just lean in for just a second. Man, I, I would hate for anyone to leave this building today still carrying the burden of shame. The burden that says, I've gone too far. I've done too much. And God's love isn't big enough for me. Can we pray? Let's just pray as we get started today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? God, we just thank you for all that you've done in our life. We thank you that you care so deeply about us and that nothing can separate us from the love that you give. Not height, nor depth, nor any space in between, nor any man, nor any individual, nor any past, nor any decision can separate us from your love. So God, today, we open our hearts and our minds to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. And congratulations, Mayweather. Who cares? Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. I want to read a story about Peter. And I, I identify very much so with Peter. Peter was one of the more outspoken disciples or followers of Jesus. And he was the guy who seemed to always know exactly how to say the wrong things at the wrong time. Anyone else ever feel like that? Would you just raise your hand? Awesome. And he was the guy that everybody go, oh, that's just Peter being Peter. And that's how I always feel. And so this story is a story that I, I, I can identify because he walks through a dark season of his life in just a short period of time. We're going to read about this in Luke chapter 22. We're going to start with verse 54. And it says this. They're talking about Jesus. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Follow, and Peter followed at a distance. So this is talking about Jesus now. Jesus is about to be crucified. And the disciples and he were all hanging out together. And this mob comes out and they take Jesus... And they take him away to the high priest's house to put him on trial. And the Bible says, as it's depicting the story in the life of Peter, is that Peter followed at a distance. He followed at a distance. And I just want to challenge you today to stop following Jesus at a distance. You can sit in a church service and still be following Jesus at a distance. You can sing worship songs and still be following Jesus at a distance. You can have given your life to Christ, have prayed a prayer, 
one moment, maybe in this room or in another building many, many years ago, and still follow Jesus at a distance. And I believe it's because shame often makes us feel like we need to separate ourselves from who Jesus is. Have you ever had that feeling, that overwhelming sense of shame or condemnation, and you knew you needed to pray, but you just didn't want to? Like you just didn't, couldn't muster the energy of the faith and might have felt overwhelmed by the things that you've done or replayed them in your mind and you needed to pray, but you just decided, I just don't know if I can right now. I have. I have. There's been so many times in my life where I've made mistakes and I've known I need to come back and just say, God, I'm so sorry for these decisions. I just need you in my life now more than ever, but I failed to do so because I allowed shame to put a gap or a separation between me and Jesus. It's amazing how many people live their life this way. And the sad truth is that all that season when we feel like we need to separate from Jesus is the time we should be drawing closer to him. And Peter followed at a distance. Verse 55 says this, And when some there had kindled a fire... In the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. And a servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this is the man that was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. Verse 58. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. And Peter said, man, I am not, he replied. Verse 59. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And verse 60 says, Peter replied, man, I don't know what you are even talking about. In fact, other translations say that Peter actually cursed in that moment. So it wasn't just simple and soft and sweet spoken Peter. He was ticked off and trying to prove to the world that he did not know Jesus. And what's interesting about this is in the next verse, it says, just as he was speaking, a rooster crowed. I know I didn't read about this this morning. Many of you may know the story, but a few hours before this moment in Peter's life, he was seated around a table with Jesus at what is commonly referred to as the Last Supper. And at that table, Jesus had a powerful conversation with his, most, his closest followers, his posse, his entourage. And he looked at Peter, and Peter was bold and brash and said, Jesus, I'll follow you to the end of the earth. And Jesus said to him, Peter, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth that today, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So here we find Peter. In the moment when he should have been the closest to Christ. In the moment that he should have been the most faithful follower, when Jesus needed him the most. And he's confronted by three individuals who say, you were a follower. You too are a Galilean. And all three times, Peter says, you're an idiot. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. The scripture says that at that time, after he had said that the third time, the rooster crowed. Verse 61, this is a powerful passage in scripture, says this. Then the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Which means he was in a courtyard close to where Jesus was standing on trial. He looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And listen to this powerful verse, verse 62. 
And he went outside and he wept bitterly. And he wept bitterly. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be Peter? Can we just pause for a minute? I think often if you've been a Christian long enough, you've heard enough of these stories to where they kind of become a distant story, ancient relic times past. But can you imagine put yourself in his shoes, having walked side by side with Jesus, seeing the miracles that he had done, watching as he prayed and wept and sweat drops of blood, looking at the things that were he was to face ahead and he was there for good times and bad times when Jesus was cast out of a city and they were going to stone him. And he was there when the man was lowered on the stretcher and Jesus healed him. And he said, man, Jesus, I'm with you to the end. Jesus was arrested, taken, and stood before the high priest. Peter should have been there. And he wasn't. He denied him three times. The rooster crows. Jesus looks over through the crowd and sees Peter. Can you imagine that moment? I don't know about you, but I feel like that would be the epitome of shame and condemnation. To remember the words that he had spoken to Jesus only to know that he had failed to live up to those words. You see, that's the way the enemy works in our life. He doesn't just come in to try to get us tripped up or to make stupid decisions, but the moment we do, he's there to jump on it and pounce on it and to tell us how much of a failure we really are. How much we really did screw this thing up. How we really aren't just okay, but man, he doesn't just come in with guilt, he comes in with shame. So we make a poor decision... We choose to do something that we know deep inside our knower, that place on the inside that you just know, that you know, that you know you should not be doing these things. And the moment you make that decision, the enemy's right there to say, see, I told you you were a failure. You see, I told you you would jack this thing up. You always have. It's been like this as long as I can remember. The chatterbox is going crazy. And the sad truth is, many times you and I believe the lies of the enemy. You see, guilt is different than shame. Guilt says, this, the, guilt is something that you did. Guilt is something that you did, right? That makes sense. If you break the law, you are guilty of breaking the law. If your mom says, don't get the cookies from the cookie jar, and you get the cookies, you are guilty of getting the cookies from the cookie jar. But shame is different. Shame is different. Shame says, this is something that I believe that I am. Shame is something that you believe that you are. Shame is something that you believe that you are. The chatterbox going crazy. Maybe you yelled at your wife and you just got overwhelmed feeling just the frustration of yelling at your wife. And you shouldn't have yelled her in the way. And it wasn't just the fact that you raised your voice. It was the words that you spoke. And immediately after those words come out of your mouth, shame washes over. Man, that's exactly how... My dad used to speak, and I shouldn't be. I'm going to be just like him, and he was abusive emotionally, and I'm raising a family, and this is exactly what it's going to be. And, man, I've let my whole family down, and this thing's never going to work. Or maybe you made some poor financial decisions, and it led to trying times in your life, and all you can see is financial catastrophe after financial catastrophe, and you just think, man... I'm so horrible with numbers. I'm so horrible with my budget that, man, I'm just going to be a disaster for the rest of my life. So sure, I made a mistake. But now this is the reality of who I am. You know what's so sad is that the scripture talks about the enemy in Revelation 12, 10, and it calls him a name that we never hear anywhere else. And it says this, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God. 
and the authority of the Messiah. Listen to this. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. This is the only time we hear Satan called that the accuser. He doesn't just get you to trip up with temptation. You see, a lot of people think the enemy is this guy in a red spandex suit with horns and a pitchfork trying to get you to make a bad decision, but he never just stops there. He never stops there. He always wants to jump right on top of the poor decision that you made to remind you of how much you've messed up, to remind you of how jacked up you really are. In fact, there are some of you who sit in this room today who can think of decisions that you've made that were poor. And even as I'm speaking, it's difficult for you to believe that you aren't the summation of your past. There's some of you who have been in church your whole stinking life. And every time you hear a message of grace, you think it applies to everyone and almost every situation in your life except for that one specific thing. Because the way that the enemy works is he wants to isolate us with shame and condemnation. With shame and condemnation. Listen to this. The enemy will tempt you to do something you shouldn't do, then convince you that you are. That's something. That you are that something. And that's one of the main reasons so many people don't come to church. Because they think through the things that they have done and feel or equate God's love for them to the past mistakes that they made. And that's the enemy at work in the chatterbox of our mind. But listen to what the scripture says about the Holy Spirit. In Revelation, I'm sorry, in John chapter 14 it says this. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said for you or said to you. So the enemy, the enemy is the accuser and the Holy Spirit is the Advocate. I love that word. The enemy is coming out to bring shame, but the Advocate comes to defend us. To remind us of who God has called us to be. To remind us of the promises that God has for you and me. We have a defender and we have someone trying to shame us. Doesn't that feel like life sometimes? Like the depiction of the little devil on this shoulder and the angel on this shoulder, which you just wish would be real because then you could just flick off one of them, you know, and a double meaning intended. You could flick off one of them and then you'd be okay and everything would be great. And, And realistically, that's not the way it works. But the truth is, we have somebody who's an accuser and we have someone who is an advocate, a defender who's protecting God's purpose for us. But we have a choice as to which voice we'll listen to. We have a choice as to which voice we'll listen to. I want to tell you just briefly, I know many of you have heard this before and I, I'm just going to be somewhat transparent today and I hope you can bear with me, but back after I graduated high school, I was highly involved and engaged in my church. But I was following Jesus at a distance. You see, what I had done really well is learn how to act like a Christ follower, to talk like a Christ follower, to look like a Christ. I knew how to raise my hand in the slow song and clap for the fast ones. I knew how to make this white booty sway just right. Yeah, you feel that right now? Some of y'all need a little action right here. But I was following Jesus at a distance. Basically, from the time that I was about 14 years of age until this season of my life, just after high school, before I'm married, but I'm dating the woman that I would once walk down the aisle and say I do to. Up until that point, I had had an addiction to pornography that nobody knew about. 
This is back when it had to be magazines. It wasn't online. Some of you laughed. <laughs> the rest of you feel like you're being judged. That's okay. And I made a series of poor choices and ended up in a relationship with a married woman that nobody knew about that ultimately destroyed that marriage. Everything ended. Nobody said anything. And then later on, we had to have the tough conversations. Imagine sitting down with your mom and dad who thought they'd done everything they needed to do to raise you to follow Christ with your whole heart and to talk about those poor choices. It wasn't until after I got married that I actually told my wife what had happened. Can I just tell you, I don't want to go into detail, the shame and the condemnation from some stupid choices felt like weights of a thousand tons. I would put on a smiling face. I would show up to church to hear people talk about God's grace. And I would sit there and I would think, I know all this is true, but I can't believe it for myself. I remember thinking, man, this is it. You're called to ministry. You've been going to school to go to ministry full time. You've, it's been your heart to be a pastor for the last 10 years. This is what you want to do. And these decisions that you've made are disqualifiers. You can't do that, Carrie. You've been struggling with these same issues of lust for almost a decade now. You're always going to struggle with them. You made this decision and that decision and this decision. I can remember images that I looked at even as a child and they would be recounted to me by the chatterbox every time I would be speaking truth into someone's life thinking, Carrie, you need to shut up. You're not worthy to say these things right now. And I began to play the soundtrack of shame. And it affected everything that I did and every decision that I made. And literally I felt like it was a disqualifier and it was just a matter of time before I had to step down from God's purpose and calling on my life. I felt like literally, like, like Marley from that, that Christmas carol, right? Who's got all the chains and the shackles on him. I literally felt like that. Every time I walked into the church. Every time. Like I'm carrying these things that nobody can see, that nobody knows about. And every time I would get up to speak, Every single time, I know I've shared this with you before, but I walked to the pulpit this morning. And I walked to this beautiful pulpit. I open up my iPad and my water and I get my microphone. And the enemy says, you don't have a right to be here. You don't have a right to be here. Who do you think you are? You're a sinning fornicator. Don't you remember don't you remember the decisions that you made? Don't you remember the things that you, you had everybody fooled? You think, man, you've got everybody fooled right now. You don't really, if you love Jesus, you wouldn't do that stuff. If you really did, then you, you would have made changes, Carrie. Every time. Can anyone identify with this? Every time. A chatterbox of shame and condemnation. I think so many of us play that soundtrack over and over in our life. We play the soundtrack of the decisions that we have made. 
We play the soundtrack of, of, the, of the poor choices or the words spoken or the, the things that we smoked that we shouldn't have smoked or the amount of times that we drank too much and it caused this effect or, man, that failed marriage that I thought was going to be so good. I said until death it was part, but it wasn't true. And now it's over. I'm not even a man or a woman of my word. Who can ever trust me? Who can ever trust me? The chatterbox gets so loud, it's deafening. There might be a really good looking preacher standing on a stage speaking amazing wisdom into your life. I don't know, I mean, it's hypothetical. But you can't even hear. It sounds like Charlie Brown's mom. The younger generation have no clue what I'm talking about. Because <laughs> the chatterbox is deafening. And shame becomes the filter through which we see life. And all of the decisions that we have to make in the future, listen to me, lean in for a second. They're now affected by the filter, the color of the decisions of our past. And so we hear a teaching about God's purpose, but we hear the lies of the enemy saying it's impossible. You can't do that. You've always been this way and it will never change for you. It's the chatterbox. It's the soundtrack of shame. Like we just push play and beep bop along. Juxtaposed to that is one of the greatest gifts that God has for you and me. It's called conviction. A lot of times we get this confused with condemnation. But the Bible says, in fact, Jesus said, I've got to go that I can give you the Holy Spirit because he comes to comfort and to counsel. But it also says that he comes to convict. And you know what conviction is? Conviction is just when Jesus kind of leans in. Now, obviously, this is not necessarily like where he's physically standing next to you as a person. But the scripture says that he never leaves us nor forsakes us. The Holy Spirit is there like the knower, like Jiminy Cricket, right? If I may, just right on the inside and, and right after you've made a stupid decision. And I know not all of you have made stupid decisions, but I can see some of you're jacked up and you have. And you know what I'm talking about. And, and, the, and the Holy Spirit leans in and just kind of taps on your shoulders and says, oh man, I wish you hadn't done that. There's better for you out there. There's better for you out there. In fact, the way I like to say it is this, the advocate says, here's an area in your life that I want us to change together. And not only that, but I'm going to give you the power and the grace to do so. That's what conviction is. It, not, it doesn't always feel good, but it's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, listen, this is something that we've got to address. And it's never, hey, you screwed up, you jacked this thing up, it's over. No, it's, hey, we've got to work on this. You, you just can't talk to your family the way you spoke to them. It's just not a representation of the love of Jesus Christ. So let's work together. And not only that, but I'm going to give you the power and the grace, which means the patience. And the strength to make the changes that you need to. That's the advocate speaking. The defender. The accuser. He says it a little bit differently. The accuser shows you the area of your life that needs to change. 
while simultaneously convincing you that it's impossible to do so. Hey, yeah, look at this. Again, you said you'd never click on that site. You're done. Last time Pastor Kerry talked about pornography, you said, I'm done looking at pornography. We made this decision. And here you are again. Yeah. Yeah, way to go, Mr. Discipline. Way to go with your strong moral values. Do you even read the Bible? Probably not. You know what? It's always going to be this way. It's always going to be this way. Challenges that often the accuser and the advocate sound similar. They sound similar. Because both initially identify the problem. Hey, this isn't okay. And we feel that. And then we feel the conviction, but at the same time, we feel shame. The accuser says, you jacked up. It's always going to be this way. This is the summation of who you are a failure. You always have been, you've always let people down. Do you remember when you were 8 or 15 or 22? 36, shall I keep going? Do you remember? You've always let people down. You've always been flaky. Accuser brings this to our attention. The advocate's saying, hey, this isn't okay. We've got to make some adjustments here. So how do we hear or determine the difference between the two? How do we determine the difference between the accuser and the advocate? A gentleman named Henry Cloud actually painted a picture of how we can determine if our thinking has become shame-based. He paints a picture and he, he calls it the three P's of shame. I've got about five minutes and I'm going to run through this. And I, I want you to, man, if you're not taking notes, please take notes. Because look at me. If you've never experienced a chatterbox of shame and condemnation, live on. And you're probably lying to yourself right now. And this is one of the greatest ways the enemy silences God's purpose in our life. I'm being as transparent with you as I can be. I've been serving the Lord since I was six years old. That's almost 30 years for me. My dad and mom raised me in the truth. I have more Bible memorized than you probably ever will in your lifetime. When I got disciplined, I had to write Psalm 119, which is the longest book in the Bible. That's what I had to do when I was punished. You guys think that's weird, but that's my dad. And yet I followed Jesus at a distance. I made a series of stupid choices that to this day, nearly 35 years later, I feel them sometimes. Let's talk about the three P's of shame. Because I'd like for all of us to be able to identify when our thinking has shifted from I've got to make changes to be more like Christ to, oh my God, this is it. It's all I can do. There's no more hope. The three P's of shame. Number one, personal. Number two, permanent. Number three, pervasive. Number one, personal. Number two, permanent. Number three, pervasive. This is how we know if our thinking has become shame-based. When it becomes personal. 
You see, that's when the enemy comes in and he says, you made this mistake, you did this, and it is a reflection of who you are. Not just your behavior, but this is attached to your character, it's attached to your calling, it's attached to your identity. You've always been a horrible individual, you'll always be a horrible wife, until the end of time, this is it, it's a personal matter. To me, I, I, man, I can't, I can't get past this, it's just, it's just a summation of who I am. Shame doesn't say you've made a bad decision. Shame says you're a horrible person. Shame doesn't say you lost your temper. Shame says you are completely and utterly out of control. It's a personal deal. Write this down. Shame takes what you did and convinces you that you did that what you did is who you are. Shame takes what you did and convinces you that what you did is who you are. We've got a six-year-old girl, and we talk about our kids all the time. If you ever repeat our stories, I'll kill you. <laughs> Seriously. And they're both so different, right? If you have kids, you know, you know what I mean. They're all different. And, and, and Avery, is just, she's got this sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. She's imaginative. She's just all over the place, like Punky Brewster, right? For those of you that, that know what's up. And she just kind of got into this thing of lying where she wasn't telling the truth. I'm going to go long today. It's going to be challenging. Where she wasn't telling the truth. And she just make up stories. Like, we're at dinner. Hey, how was your day? Well, we did this. And then we started doing a report on uh, California gray whales. And while we were there, we got to take a field trip out to. And we're like, wait, wait a minute. You didn't leave your school. It wasn't like we said, hey, what, you know, like, did you go see California? She just, like, makes up these amazing stories. We're like, okay, you're going to be a great writer. Don't lie. We'll kill you. And so <laughs> we were teaching her. Hey, you can't lie. You know, the challenge is that those, those things also shift into, hey, what happened here? I don't know. Did you do that? No, I didn't do that, right? So it isn't just about making up colorful stories. There's a time where she did something she should have done to her sister, and mom walks in there and says, Avery, what happened here? Nothing. I don't know. It wasn't me. It was somebody else. Avery, are you telling me the truth? Yes. Avery, we... we... We know you're not telling the truth. (laughs) Your sister has a red hand mark across her face. It's the exact same size as your hand. I don't think that was our puppy. Crumbles down to tears. I never tell the truth. I'm a horrible person. My heart is bad. (laughs) We're like, yes, it is. Change it now. (laughs) Literally, she said that. She said, I have a bad heart. I have a bad heart. Hmm. Isn't that like the enemy? I'm a horrible person. I never tell the truth. I have a bad heart. Hmm. Six years old. The chatterbox is going. Shame and condemnation. It's not just personal, it's permanent. I never tell the truth. I never tell the truth. Pervasive meaning it affects everything. I have a bad heart. Six years old, in a chatterbox of shame, running rampant. I get it. Every time I stand up here, preach the truth of God's word 
acknowledging. Why do you think I say we're all a little jacked up? Because I'm letting you know I'm jacked up, okay? Every time I get up here to preach, I open my iPad, the lights are still off. Sometimes I pray that the video will go another two minutes longer. I'm being honest, I'm not lying to you. I get my water and I open it up because I don't want any distractions. Make sure my mic is on and I'm about to preach and I hear, Bear with me. That was a rooster crow. <laughs> Cock-a-doodle-doo. A reminder of my past. You know, what's interesting about Peter. He lived in an agricultural society where roosters would have been rampant. No alarm clocks. It was the way that they would wake up every morning. And every day when the rooster would crow, he would be reminded of the time he denied Jesus. I wonder what roosters are crowing in your life. Maybe it's every time you look at your wedding band. Maybe it's when you look at your career. When you sit down at a computer the next morning. I wonder how many roosters are crowing in our life. Reminding us of the shame and the sin and the condemnation of our past. I'm here to tell you that's not God's purpose for you. That's not God's plan for you. You know what I love is a little earlier in the story we read about Jesus kind of rewinds the tapes in Luke chapter 22. Same things we've been reading from, but just a little different portion of the story. This is while they're sitting at the table having the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, before they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, before he prays and says, God, if there's any other way to do this to save humanity, would you just, let's figure that out. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. A few hours before Jesus is taken away and Peter follows at a distance. A few hours before he denies Christ three times only to look him in the eye to feel shame and condemnation over him. A few hours before that happened, Jesus is talking directly to Peter. And he says this in Luke chapter 22, verse 31. He says, Simon, Simon. And remember, we talked about this before. Anytime, most of the time, they they use the word or say the name twice in Scripture. It's a reminder of God's covenant for you and me. His promises for you and me. Simon, Simon. Now, Simon was Peter's name before Jesus changed it. You may not know this. And Simon means shaky or shifty. Flaky, kind of a great depiction of his personality. But Jesus changed it to Peter, which means rock. Jesus always sees the potential. The advocate always sees the potential. The accuser always reminds us of our past. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has asked to sift all of you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. The advocate comes to the rescue. Jesus is saying, listen, you're going to face some things and I know the enemy's coming hard at you. Get ready for it, but I'm praying for you. I believe in you, Peter. He said, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And listen, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. He says, look, Satan's coming after you, but I'm praying for you, Peter. And what does he say then? 
And when you have turned back, he said, I know you're going to make some poor choices. I know you're going to deny me. In fact, in a few verses, he says, Peter, today, before the rooster crows three times, you will deny me before men. But I'm praying your faith will not fail. And when you turn back, you strengthen your brothers. I love that about Jesus. The accuser reminds you of your past your weaknesses, your faults, your failures. He'll bring shame and condemnation and he'll cause that rooster to crow every time he gets a chance to remind you of how jacked up you are. But Jesus says, but hey, I am the advocate. And when you come back, you strengthen your brothers. See, what I love about the three P's of shame is if we don't rehearse those things, but if we reverse it, we see God's love and grace coming through. Because God's love and grace is always personal. He didn't die only for humanity. He died specifically for you. Jesus gave up his life specifically for you. Not just the people sitting around, yeah, that too, but specifically for you. In fact, the Bible says that he knows the number of hairs on your head. That's pretty personal. Some of you have a little less than others. And that's okay too. God's love and grace are always permanent. Never will he ever stop loving you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. No matter how jacked up you are when you came in. His love is permanent. And his love and his grace are pervasive. Which means there, it affects everything. Your past, your present, and your future. Don't play the soundtrack of shame anymore. Stop following Jesus at a distance. And don't think that you've got to get perfect before you get close. Just get close and he'll show you. Like the conviction power of the Holy Spirit. Hey, here's an area that we need to work on. And I want to help you fix it. And I'm going to give you the strength. And I'm going to give you the power. And I'm going to give you the grace to do so. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Silence the voice of the chatterbox. And when that rooster crows, when that reminder pops up, you remind the enemy that God says he's got you covered. That he has a purpose for you and he won't let you go. Amen? Let's silence the chatterbox of shame and condemnation. Hey, there are a few of you in this room who may be questioning your faith. Or wavering in your faith. Or unsure of your faith. And maybe you walked in this room riddled with doubt and shame and condemnation. And God sent this fat white guy to tell you he still loves you. You say, I feel so separated from God. That's okay. In one selfless act, Jesus gave his life on the cross to bring you closer to who God is. You don't have to get perfect. You just have to say, yes, Jesus, I give you my life. And give him the opportunity to work on the rest. If you're here and you've never made that decision, in a second, we're going to pray a prayer. And, and, and right where you're seated, we're not going to ask you to get up, but right where you're seated, just say from the bottom of your heart, just repeat this prayer after me. And I believe that God will start something brand new in your life. Look at me. Some of you today have been running from God. You've kept Jesus at a distance. And it's time to pull him back in. As we pray this prayer, if that's you, 
run full-fledged and pray this prayer from the bottom of your heart. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, no one looking around. I'm going to ask everybody to pray this out loud. No embarrassment, no shame. And if you're here and you've never prayed this prayer, then mean it from the bottom of your heart. And if you're here and you've been keeping Jesus at a distance, today's the day to come back. And you mean this saying from the bottom of your heart. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And everyone in this room, full of faith, just repeat after me. Say, dear God. No, come on. Dear God. I know that you're real. I know that you love me. And I know you know I'm jacked up. I've got sin in my life. Would you forgive me? Thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price for my sin. Now, all over this room, every head bowed, every eye closed, I want you to repeat this after me and say, Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. Find out more about us at theocmovement.com or we'd love to meet you in person this Sunday. Until next time, Orange County.